0: What's going on, everyone? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. So grateful you have tuned in with us for our online service. Uh, Before we get started in today's message, I wanna pray for us. So Heavenly Father, God, you know all of the worries, the concerns, the joys, the sadness, and everything in between. And Father, no matter where we are today, I pray that you would meet us uh, through your words and that they would comfort us and encourage us. In Jesus name we pray, amen and amen. So during this pandemic, I have picked up quite a few hobbies. One of them, which is one that my wife hates when I talk about, at least to her, is I am kind of obsessed with all things virology. I've watched YouTube lectures, I listen to two-hour-long podcasts. I have no idea why why it interests me so much, but obviously we're in this pandemic, and it's pretty fascinating stuff. So in the last couple of weeks, one of the concepts that they've been talking about uh, in this podcast and all over the news are these vaccines that are coming out and all of these things that will hopefully present us with something called immunity. Now, immunity is a fascinating concept. Uh, It's defined as being protection or exemption from something. Something that's deadly like a virus where you could be around this dangerous uh, virus in a room and because you're immune, it would not affect you. Other times, Uh, immunity is a concept that you see actually in law. So for all my fellow lawyers and all my people who love law and order, uh, you might've seen an episode where uh, in exchange for their testimony, the district attorney offers someone immunity, which means that no matter what they say, they are protected, they are exempt. Now immunity is a, a wonderful thing, but there are some things in life that we could never truly be immune from. And I want to talk about one of those things today. Uh, None of us, no matter how much money you make, no matter if you're black, white, or anything else, no matter what school you went to, no matter what your relationship status is, no matter if you cheer for the the Giants or the Patriots or the Jets, uh, don't do that. Uh, But no matter what, all of us, none of us are immune from something called disappointment. Now, disappointment is something that shows up in all of our lives. And as Christians and people who are are seeking to follow Jesus and for those of us who are new and you don't know where your faith is at, uh, all of us at multiple times in our life are gonna encounter something called disappointment. Here's how you define disappointment. It is defined as sadness or displeasure caused by non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. So that's the Webster's Dictionary, but uh, my definition of it would be that when our real-time experiences don't line up with what we hope for, so we we go into life, we go into situations with hopes, with dreams, with aspirations, and our real-time experiences don't align with um, our hopes. So the end of that, in the gap between our expectations and our hopes and what we actually get, is something that call, that's caused uh, called disappointment. Now sometimes disappointment is it's internal for a lot of people. Um, they are starting this journey to follow Christ and you're new in your faith and you got baptized. You joined the DNA group. Uh, You read the book of the Bible with us. You went to the lecture and the seminar and you're not changing as fast as you, you wish you would. You thought that by doing the right thing and joining the church and doing these different things, life would change a little bit more quickly. And it just hasn't happened that way. Are right, you finding out now that life for you is one step forward, two steps back, seven steps forward, five steps backwards and it feels like this nauseating cycle and it's just disappointing. Other times it's not internal disappointment, it's external, it's you wish there were other things in your life right now that were just better. You expected to be further along in life, you expected your life to look differently than what it does. Now in that gap between what we hope for and what we actually got, is this thing called disappointment. Now here's a number of things about disappointment that I found to be true in my life that might also be true for you. Number one, disappointment in our lives is, it's inevitable, right? There's no level of spiritual attainment that you can have or acquire that will make you immune and protect you from disappointment. It's something that we're all gonna face multiple times in in our life. Um, This past couple of weeks and months in, in my life and my family, man, it's just been a lot of disappointing things that have happened. And one of these days I'll tell the story, but uh, man, just the last couple of weeks and, and last month, I've just found myself being just disappointed. So number one, it's inevitable. Number two, it's, it's pretty powerful. Uh, being disappointed with life, whether it's internal or external, it has the ability to really just hijack your thoughts so that all day long you're thinking about that thing which has disappointed you. Um, and here's the thing about disappointment, which is so profound. Uh, One preacher said it like this, disappointment is always always tied and rooted in hope. You can't be disappointed if you first didn't hope that things would be different. So it's really powerful because disappointment by its very nature is attached to our hope. And it's like our life is hanging on a ladder. And sometimes the thing that we have attached the ladder of our hopes to moves and we come crashing down. So, disappointment is inevitable. Disappointment is powerful. It really has a, a really difficult uh, effect in our life. And number three, one of the things about disappointment is it's recurring. It's not one of those things that you can go through once in life and that's it, you've graduated. Uh, it happens in multiple ways in your life, in different seasons, in different forms and fashions. And as I was preparing for this message, I started to think about all the times when I've like really been disappointed. And I mean, like, seriously disappointed, not times where I was watching the Jets get uh, beat once again, but like times where the disappointment was a characteristic of my life, sometimes for weeks at a time. Uh, Sometimes it's relational, right? I think about the relationship I was in once upon a time, and I just dreamed that it was gonna end at the altar and it was gonna be perfect. And months later or a year later, I was singing, you know, end of the road boys to men style, and it all ended and I I was disappointed. My, my hope was that it was gonna go somewhere and it didn't. So sometimes it's relational and a lot of you know that feeling where you hoped that relationships would just look different than what they look like right now. Uh, sometimes in my life, there's been a time where uh, my, my performance uh, was really just disappointing. And uh, so I played basketball in high school and in college. And I always tell people like, don't ever be impressed by the fact that I played basketball in college. In the three years that we played, that I played, we were five, I'm sorry, we were 15 and 75. So that was our record. And I rode the bench for, for many of those, uh, many of those, if not all of the, the losses. Um, and uh, man, it was just really disappointing. I kept on thinking that when I, you know, my day was going to come and I was going to get the shot and the coach was going to look down and say, Rice, and I was going to come in the game, hit the big shot and everybody would carry me on their shoulders and it it actually never happened. And college in some ways was pretty disappointing, certainly sports were at least, uh, to have given my life so much of my time and energy to something that really never panned out. So sometimes it was relational, sometimes it was something that really was a part of my identity, uh, being a basketball player, uh, where things just didn't go the way I wanted them to go. And other times it's been work, uh, where I just hoped that things would be different. I, I would have hoped that I would have made certain strides. That I would be better at something that we would have been farther along and it just doesn't happen. So that's my story. And over and over again, I've had these recurring disappointments and I found myself in dozens and dozens of more situations that have just been disappointing. So there are a lot of things that life can and will throw at us that will disappoint us. So then what should we do? Fortunately for us today, we are in a passage of scripture that's gonna give us an anatomy, a breakdown of someone who is disappointed, really disappointed. And it's gonna give us a picture of this recurring problem that we have to face over and over again. Now, if you've taken anatomy in middle school or high school in biology class, I can still think about the frog we dissected um, in eighth grade biology. My teacher had to comb over, he had like three strands of hair. I'm not hating on Ball Brothers, obviously. Um, but that was a a day that was drilled in my brain. I can still smell the formaldehyde when I think about it. But anatomy is something that you do. You take something apart to get a better understanding of it. And today we're going to take apart a section of scripture, hoping to get a better understanding of what disappointment is in our life, what causes it, and how we can move forward and move through disappointment, because there there are different ways that disappointments can affect us. One of these ways is it could lead us towards discouragement. And discouragement is deeper than disappointment. Discouragement is actually when we start to lose hope. What I hope that we do instead of that, uh, instead of discouragement, which is so real, and I felt this before many times in life, is that it would move us towards a realer hope and real trust in God. And that's just the goal for us today and every single day with our lives. So we're in the book of Exodus and we're in Exodus 5. We're marching very slowly through Exodus, and this is a passage of scripture that's really profound. It starts out in verse one, it says, "'Later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, "'This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, "'Let my people go, "'so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness.' "'But Pharaoh responded, "'Who is the Lord that I should obey him "'by letting Israel go? "'I don't know the Lord, and besides, "'I will not let Israel go.' "'They answered, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God or else he may strike us with plague or sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. Pharaoh also said, look, the people of this land are so numerous and you would stop them from their labor. So let me uh, bring everybody up to speed Uh, So what's going on here in Exodus 5, Moses was a leader called by God uh, to help um, free God's people from uh, Egypt. And so they were enslaved in in Egypt and God called Moses. And what Moses is doing here in chapter five of Exodus is he's being obedient to what God told him to do. So they were enslaved. And although Moses was afraid, he went and did what God wanted him to do. Not only that, uh, but we'll come back to this at the end of today. Pharaoh was really hard-hearted and he wouldn't listen. As a matter of fact, God told Moses that you're gonna go to Pharaoh and he's not gonna listen. So this is what we see happening here in this text. Moses goes to Pharaoh just like God told him to do and Pharaoh is not listening just like God said would happen. So here's the first thing we see about the anatomy of disappointment in this text. We get really disappointed when the achievements that we want are not immediate. So Moses, and we'll see this later on in the text, man, Moses just becomes so disappointed with God, with himself, with the whole situation, because for whatever reason, he expected that when he walked into the room to talk to Pharaoh, the goals that he had for himself, the the things that he wanted to see happen would happen more immediately than they did. Now, I've been a pastor for a little while now and I know one of the most discouraging things for people is after they have signed up for all the things that we have said for them to sign up for and then they just don't see the, the growth, right? So they read the book of the Bible and they're like, man, I don't know what's happening. I'm, I'm still struggling and they don't see the growth in their life. And I, I think one of the most encouraging things for us is to think about our growth, not in mechanical senses, but in organic senses, What does that mean? When when Jesus talked about growth, it's not like an an assembly line where they produce a thousand car doors a day. It's more organic. It happens by God sowing seeds in our heart and that seed takes time and we never plant and, and reap in the same season. The real genuine work that God wants to do in your life, it just takes time. And when you bury a seed, you can't see anything happening. All you see is dirt on the surface. But it doesn't mean that there's not real, powerful things happening beneath the surface. And I think one of the things that's so real about disappointment is that when we don't see the change that we want in our life, when we don't see the achievement, it just it makes us feel disappointed. Like we we would have expected to be further along than what we are. And sometimes the good news is that our hopes and expectations in those cases are not realistic. Now, that's for the internal things that we're hoping to happen but I'm also a realist. I, I know how many people are praying for God to do things in their life. And this Christmas, they're saying, God, I've been praying for this thing to happen for the last like 10 or 15 or 20 years, and it still hasn't happened. And you're just disappointed. When the things that we want don't happen immediately, it makes us feel like God is not listening to us. It makes us feel like God just has it out for us or God doesn't love us or that God wants to bless everybody but us. And I, sometimes I think back to, a scripture in Luke 18 where Jesus teaches a parable about prayer. And he says, I'm teaching this parable about prayer so that you would always pray and and not give up. And he talks about a woman who's praying over and over again, day day after day, and she's going to this judge for justice. And Jesus uses this really odd story of a woman going to an unjust judge as a way to tell us that we should always keep praying, to keep praying and to keep coming to God, even if it feels like, God is not listening to your prayers. There's something that God wants to do inside of us in the waiting. The waiting is not meaningless. And one of the causes of discouragement, disappointment, which is very real, is when things are not, uh, the things that we want to happen either externally or internally are not immediate. Now, the second thing we see in the scripture, uh, as it continues in verse six, it says, that day Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen, Listen, don't, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks, just as you did before. They must go and gather straw for themselves now, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. This is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the, on the men, then they will be occupied with it and not pay attention to the deceptive words. Now this portion of scripture is so rich for so many different reasons, um, but here's what we see in the second, uh, the second piece about the anatomy of disappointment. Sometimes what causes disappointment in our lives is when doing the right thing makes life harder. So what, what, what happened in this text? Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, exactly like God told them to do. And as a result, their life got harder, not easier. So Pharaoh says to um, the four men and the people running everything, listen, they're required to make the same amount of bricks now, but now the straw that you would have given them, don't give it to them anymore. They're going to have to go and gather it themselves. So let's think about this. As slaves, it wasn't like they were given, you know, they had workers' rights and they were working short hours. They were already working with very thin margin. And now the margin that they were given was impossible. It was impossible for them to meet this goal. And you see later that none of them are actually hitting their target and their life becomes infinitely more difficult because they were doing the right thing. Now, one of the things that I've struggled with in life is this concept, because I think deep down inside for me, and this might not be true for you, deep down inside, there is something inside of me that believes that when I do the right thing, God is going to reward me with an easier life. And man, that's just, that's just not the case. We see in this text and in so many other scriptures in the Bible that when women and men do the right thing for God, it, it makes their life much harder. I think about this one scripture in Matthew 8 where it's talking about a guy named John the Baptist, and uh, he was named John the Baptist not because he wasn't John the Catholic or John the Methodist, but he was known for baptizing people. He's actually the one who baptized Jesus, and Jesus gives an honor to John the Baptist that is out of this world. He says, there is no greater person born of a woman than this dude. Like, so John the Baptist is somebody in Jesus's eyes that there's like nobody better than him. And John the Baptist gets in some trouble. Uh, the king's, in his day, the kings, uh, the king was having some crazy affairs and doing a bunch of stuff. John the Baptist, being a man of integrity, calls the king out. One day, John the Baptist finds himself in prison for doing that. And he's expecting that Jesus is going to get him out. So he sends his followers to Jesus because part of Jesus's message was, I'm going to set the prisoners free. And here's what Jesus says when John the Baptist uh, sends his disciples to come and talk to him. Here's what he says. He says, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not, offended by me. Now, John the Baptist would eventually be killed in prison, in prison. Other people are being blessed and healed and set free, and his life would end. His life got much harder by doing the right thing, not easier. When Pharaoh inflicts harsher punishment on the on the Israelites for doing what God told them to do, it shows us a principle in life that happens so often and I I don't want us missing out on this piece of text because I think it's going to cause unnecessary disappointment in our lives if we believe that doing the right thing will shield us, will make us immune from life's difficulties. Now, in my own life, I've seen this happen in a number of ways. When I was in law school in my third year, I was on track to graduate with honors and I was very proud about that. And there was a couple classes I had in my last semester, one of them being a research class, which by all accounts was very easy, just very, very time consuming. I found out later that the reason everybody were getting, was getting A's was because everybody was teaming up in different groups to do the research assignment. So one person, would they would get in groups of five to six people and do it like that, uh, and everybody was getting A's. But the teacher said expressly, do not get in groups. This is a one-person project. I was the head of the Christian Legal Society, and uh, I wanted to join up with other people, but um, I, I didn't do it. And I was thinking, you know what, God, you're going to bless me because I'm the one, you know, every every one of my classmates, they're teaming up, even though the professor said not to do that, and God, you're going to bless me. And God has blessed me in, with so many different things, but I actually got like a, one of my worst grades in law school ever in that research class, and I didn't graduate with honors principally because of that class. My life got harder, not easier, because I was trying to do the right thing. In other times in my life, uh, it wasn't with school, it was with real life stuff, with, with finances. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, we got into some trouble with, some, with our taxes and we were, I overestimated some stuff. And before I knew it, the bills were flying out of our account and man, money was really, really tight. And we were, you know, getting very serious about cutting out different purchases. And my wife said, Hey, no more sneaker purchases, which was, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth in our household. And, I remember honestly thinking about stopping our gift to Renaissance and thinking, man, like if we not if we're not given a Renaissance, then who who will? And I really wanted to stop being generous with our money so that we would have a little bit more cushion because I knew how difficult the next number of months would be if I followed God to be generous. And we did it. I wouldn't tell the story if we weren't generous. And man, it was just really difficult. Like I was thinking that God is gonna just, I'm gonna I'm a, you know, make the deposit into Renaissance and then tomorrow I'm gonna get a check for $3,000 in the mail. That did not happen. All we had was more difficulty and more heartache. Sometimes doing the right thing makes life more difficult. Other times it might be your career, right? Maybe you doing the right thing and following Jesus means that you don't advance as quickly as other people might. Maybe it hurts you financially as a result. Maybe you lose out on opportunities because you're a follower of Jesus or you're trying to do the right thing. I was talking to a buddy of mine who's in theater and he was talking about the the times where everybody was hanging out doing things that would have violated his conscience. And in the midst of all, all of this, people are building relationships sometimes with the theater owners and he just didn't get a chance to build those relationships as as tightly And in some ways, it kind of hurts his career when you're not able to build the camaraderie, not just with fellow actors, but also people who make decisions. And sometimes doing doing the right thing actually hurts you in the short term. Other times it's relationships. And I know so many people who uh, want to follow Jesus with all of them, with their lives, with their time, with their money, with their bodies. And that has caused that might have ended some relationships where other friends might have gotten married already and maybe you you haven't. And maybe one of those reasons is because you had a standard. Not saying that people who got married don't have a standard, um, but sometimes following God is gonna make your life harder, not easier. But here's the thing, I was thinking about this this week. Like, God, why would you make our lives harder? Like, why would you allow this to happen? And I think the answer is that there is something that happens to us, although I hate it, like I, I really, really hate it, but there is something that happens to us that makes us more like Christ when we go through difficulties and trials. There are some things you will learn in a valley that you will never ever be able to experience at the mountaintop. The past couple of years, as a pastor, I've learned more and more what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to grow to be more like Jesus. And I wish the answer to becoming more like Jesus were found in the pages of a book. But sometimes, It's found in disappointment and heartache and trials and tribulations and in those things god is making us more and more like christ now a lot of times if i'm being honest i'm like god i don't want that i would choose the comfortable road every single time and god being the good father that he is he's committed to our christ likeness if we are followers of jesus so number one disappointment comes when achievement doesn't come immediately and number two Disappointment comes when doing the right thing actually makes life harder. And number three, one thing we'll see in this text is disappointment comes when we are forgetful of God's words and God's promises to us. So in verse uh, 19 through 23, the end of the chapter, it says the Israelite four men saw that they were in trouble. Right. So they're, they're not meeting their quota with the bricks because it was an impossible task. And they were told, you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? You know what? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, He has caused trouble for this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. Now, this is something that I've experienced in my own life is when I'm just forgetful. And this is what we see in the text. If you were to rewind one chapter before, God tells Moses, Moses, listen, Papa, you're going to go to Pharaoh. He's not going to listen. I'm going to send plagues, but get ready. Deliverance is coming. Day one, Moses gets out there. It doesn't happen. He's like, yo. See, God, this is why why I didn't want to follow you in the first place, because you didn't do it. And God is like, Moses, I I literally just told you what was going to happen, and you didn't remember. Now, here's the paradox of faith. What God calls us to do is to trust what he says more than what we see. And when we see things that don't line up with what we want them to be in a variety of different ways, we tend to get forgetful. So Moses here is forgetful. He has forgotten what God has said to him just a chapter previously where God told him exactly what was gonna happen, how it was gonna go down, and Moses just forgot. Now, the same thing is true for us. When our real-time experiences don't align with our expectations, we need to fight to remember what God has said to us and to trust what God has said more than what we can see. There's a story uh, about an ethicist named John Cavanaugh. And he went to go see uh, Mother Teresa in Calcutta. And he goes to Mother Teresa and he asks her to pray for him. And he says, Mother Teresa, will you pray for me for clarity? I don't know what I should do with my life. And she says, I'm not going to pray for that. He says, excuse me, you've you've always seemed to be a person with immense clarity. And she says, I've never had clarity. All I've had was trust. And that's what I'm going to pray for you, that you would trust God. Now, in the absence of clarity in our lives, of what we think is going to happen, happens. In the absence of things being right in front of us, what we need is trust. We need to trust what God says about us, for us, and what God has promised us in in our lives to to fight to trust what God has said more than what we can see. Now, I've mentioned that, you know, I've had a series of things in my life that have been disappointing. And there's been a scripture, a number of scriptures that have been comfort to me have been an encouragement to me. They've been things I've had to fight to remember even when what I see is disappointing. And here's one of the scriptures in Isaiah 41 and 10. You've seen this on plaques in different people's offices and homes. It's nothing new, but it's powerful. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. God promises to to strengthen us. God promises to help us. God promises to uphold us. And he will hold on to us with his righteous right hand. In biblical days, the right hand was the hand of power. So whoever was sitting at the right hand of the king was the power hand, that everything was done through this. And scripture says, God is going to hold on to us with the with the pinnacle of his strength and his might and his power. So for you, it might be Isaiah 41 and 10. For others, it might be another scripture. Google is your friend. Find something, God's promises about this um, and fight to remember what God has said so that we can trust him and avoid the discouragement uh, that might happen in disappointment. But I think what could happen instead is that we would find a true reservoir from hope, something that we can hold on to. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you know for thousands of years, your people have cried out to you for you to come, for you to meet them, sometimes in disappointment, sometimes in celebration. So Lord, no matter where we are today, I pray that you would would come to us and comfort us and encourage us and lead us to trust you. Jesus, let me pray, amen.